Hi, Lillian. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Michael? Good. Welcome to the podcast. We have today Lillian Raffle, who is the incoming president of Beverly Hills Rotary. And I have known Lillian since 2005 when she joined. I know that because I'm looking at her badge. But I don't really know Lillian. So today we'll get to know her a little bit and share some of that. So Lillian, where were you born? I was born in Montebello, California. So you're like me. You're a native. Yes, I um, am. We're kind of scarce. And Fourth generation Californian. Wow, that's kind of cool. So tell me about your, the first generation in California. Where were they from? They, they came <clears throat> from Kentucky, and they came here. God, I have no idea how. Um, I do know they were— Laser jet. Yeah, no. probably laser. Yeah. Um, Beamed in. <laughs> I have a feeling it was covered wagons because I think my great great whatever he, grandfather was has something to do with the Calistoga uh, movement uh, towards California, and they settled um, in a variety of different places. They moved around. Final place was Pomona, California. My grandmother moved, uh, grew up in Pomona, California. Uh -huh. She went to boarding school. Um, and when she was in boarding school, she met um, a woman, yeah, or sorry, a girl, I should say, um, who was her future sister-in-law, um, introduced her to her older brother, who, when he came back from World War I, um, was smitten by my grandmother, and they got married. I think she was like 18, and he was older. Um, and they lived in Los Angeles for until he passed away and then my grandmother lived in Los Angeles until she passed away. Very my cool. My father and my uncle were born here and so And you grew up in Montebello. So No, I did not grow up in Montebello. You asked me where I was born. Oh, so I where did you Born in Montebello. I grew up in Downey. Downey. Okay. Yes. But that era we're, we're comparable in age. So we've got to see so much Mir so many miracles in Southern California yeah. because in the 1960s and 70s compared to today, it's a completely different Los Angeles. I mean, just completely different. Traffic's always been here. Things like that have always existed. But it's just it's amazing on the things that we've seen in Southern California. Um, and where did you go to school? Um, well, I went to school in Downey. I went to school Warren, Earl Warren High School in Downey. And... Um, Earl Warren High School indicates, Downey, like me, public yeah. school in Downey, right? Yes, and um, actually what funny thing is I, I saw my kindergarten class. I always thought I went to Roger Kassir Elementary in, in kindergarten, and I never realized that um, when I started there, it was called Tweety Lane. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I thought it was hilarious. That is funny. Tweety uh, Lane. Tweety Lane Elementary School. So I didn't know that until I ran across my kindergarten picture and it ha had it there. And you ended up uh, from high school going to USC? Um, or where'd you go? I went to for a short time and then I went to Cal State LA mm -hmm. um, because of a series of events in my family that my parents looked at me and said, you can go to any college you can pay for. Um, <laughs> I clearly and USC didn't. was always a little a bit little more, bit more yeah. yeah, but it was my mom's dream actually for me to go there and become a dental hygienist. And I said, I don't want to spend my life putting my hands in people's mouths, you know. And so, well, somebody's got to do it, right? Exactly. So <laughs> I went to Cal State. I had a degree in natural science, and then I didn't want to look at 
slides all day long, sitting in the lab looking at slides, and which is, I had a certificate in, <clears throat> in that. And I went to nursing. I went into nursing at Cal State LA. And so I went from not wanting to put my hands in people's mouths to putting my hands everywhere else in their body, you know. Plus well, but you're a person of service. You can, ever since I've known you, it's like you're, you come from a place of kindness of how do I help? And when, when I learned recently, you had, you had mentioned to me that you were in nursing, it's like, that's no surprise. You would have been excellent at that. Yeah, my mom was a nurse, so you know she encouraged me uh, for a long, long time to go into nursing. Did you find nursing fulfilling? I did, I did. I, I really did, it was very fulfilling. Um, sometimes it was, where I worked was extremely stressful in the ICU and MICU and with medical intensive care and respiratory intensive care. It was very stressful because the death rate in some days were very, very high. And I felt a lot of sympathy with the nurses that were dealing with the COVID patients because it was very difficult to have one or two deaths in your per day yeah. in your unit. I and mean, having more than that is really very traumatic. Um, I can't imagine, and I mean this, I cannot imagine what it would be like and what a great gift it is to be a nurse and to actually be with somebody the moments before they leave um, our, our earth or our planet um, and their soul ascends to heaven if they're a religious person and even if they're not, it's still, that's just such a, a, a fantastic fulfillment on one hand, but it takes a very special person to deal with that. I had a friend, he was a oncologist, mm -hmm. and he was, I, I walked in one day jokingly and said, when were you going to find the cure for cancer? And he said, uh, we have the cure. And I, and I truly looked around like, what, 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 did I miss something? He says, well, we base cure on survival. And he says, no, 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 cure is elimination of the cause, because you're telling, he told me, he says, if somebody survives five years, they're cured. I go, no, no, I want the elimination of the cause. And he said to me, if we thought that way, we would truly go crazy. We wouldn't be able to deal with the norms of life. And that was like brilliant to me, because it, it opened up on really what a gift nurses are and doctors and how challenging it is. And it seems today it's, it's even more challenging because of insurances and monies and finance and it's all messed up. Um, when did you leave nursing or are you still involved in well, some way? Well, before I, I say that, I, I want to preface it by I, when I was in school, I did um, uh, several papers on death and dying. Mm. And that was very helpful, I think, to me. And that in dealing with the patients and dealing with the families because the patients obviously you're not there to you know they're gone but the family members have uh, especially a lot of the patients we dealt with in the ICU they were younger um, a traumatic event uh, something happened to be there and they were not like in a hospice or something uh, so the families uh, we had to deal with them too and that was very you had to be tactful and caring. And it's a challenge. I mean, and you're dealing with you know. different people that grieve or that suffer in different ways. Very, and very. this is a loved one. I always tell people, like, you know, medicine's a little strange today because when you walk into an office, it's like we, you have to be non-qualified to work in an office by being rude, mean, curt. But people don't come into a, into a medical facility 
oh, I'm here because I'm happy. They come in because something's wrong, so they should be greeted with kindness. And nurses, to me, are the greatest. They are just phenomenal, phenomenal people. So that's, that's great. So back to my question was, when did you... Well, I still have my license, mm -hmm. and during the pandemic, I did help out at a couple of different places. Um, so I like to maintain my, my license, you know, just in case. Um, that's my family's motto, just You're in, in the auxiliary. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I got my master's in nursing education, and I taught at uh, Mount St. Mary's. Right here. Um, up here, University yeah. at, in Brentwood. Uh, I taught there, and then I was actually in the process of applying to get my PhD at USC, and I had a terrible horse accident. I fell off my horse, and I had a bad injury that took, Two years, two years to heal. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, it was pretty bad. So then after that, I got involved, moved to being very involved with my daughter's school, and I sort of left nursing. You know, I volunteered at the nurse's office and things like that, but I sort of got away from teaching and practicing in a hospital type of nursing. Interesting. So you mentioned you have a daughter. How many children do you have? I have one daughter and two stepdaughters. One daughter, two stepdaughters. Right. And what do they do? Well, <clears throat> the oldest daughter is, lives in Los Angeles and she's in sales. And the, that's stepdaughter. And then uh, daughter number, stepdaughter number two lives in New York. Uh, she was a dancer. She went to Juilliard and stayed there. She was in modern dance. Wow. Now she's evolved. She evolved and she became a yoga instructor. And then she, now she is a college counselor and deals with dance programs and counseling high school students in two different programs. So she gets to do what she loves and yes. help others. That's yes. kind of cool. Daughter number three. Um, daughter number three is my daughter. She was a music major at USC. And after she left school. Wait, so was she there during Dr. Bartlett's yes, time? Yes, absolutely. Wow. She was in the member. Dr. Bartlett, for anybody who wouldn't know, is the very, very famous, now retired band leader of USC. Uh, and USC's marching band is amongst the finest in the country. And they had a card section that he coordinated. Just a wonderfully talented, gifted, and beloved person. So that's why I mentioned his name. She was in the band under him. And she met some really lovely young women that she, in the band. They were all saxophone players, tenors, sax. Very and cool. They, what, what year was this? She went there in. Let's see, my, she went there from '96 to 2000. 96 to 2000. Okay, right. so I obviously I got to see her without really seeing her. And that when I was doing the statistics for USC football, we were up in the press box and we always at halftime would watch the band. And um, one of the other statisticians, myself, we'd walk down at halftime and we would do a lap because USC wouldn't lose, we thought, because of our doing a lap. And we would always be right next to the band and listening to them. It's kind of special. So that's There's nothing cool. like superstitious. Yeah, oh, especially fans. in sports. Like, we have an input, uh, an impact on what's really going to happen. And, and so she graduates with USC in a, in a music degree? Yes, she did. And then uh, she worked for uh, a music production company and for a while. And then there was a strike of... Uh, I can't remember which strike it was, but but there's always something. There's yeah. always a strike, and so the guy said, you know, well, 
you can have you can have this job, but I just can't pay you. So she didn't think that was a good option. Um, so she went to work for a company called Lowry's International, and they did restoration of film and digitalization of film. And she, one of her fellow bandmates, was working there, and he said, you know, we need uh, quality control people. And why don't you just do it as a, you know, at least you put money in your pocket. Because my daughter's not one to get money from me at all. And That's a good thing. Yeah. She likes to be self-sufficient. So she went there um, at this place. And they, they, she worked on, let's see, the Star Wars and... Uh, Casablanca, and she called me up one day, and she says, She's in the right timing, you know. Exactly. And she said, who's this Mildred uh, Pierce chick, you know, and <laughs> <laughs> so, who is that? Yeah. So anyway, she, she was doing that, and she got very good at it, and they kept promoting her and promoting her and promoting her, and she uh, all got to meet, go up to Skywalker Ranch and meet all those mingle with the Mingle with the folk. Right. So... That company, unfortunately, John Lowry died, uh, was ill, and he sold his company, and he <coughs> sold it to another company that she wasn't, they were moving and changing things too much, and she really didn't care for it, and she was looking around for other positions, and um, she got grabbed up by Apple. Very cool. And it was, she really uh, enjoyed it, because she had the connections in the field because she dealt with all the studios in terms of the digitalization. She knew everybody at every studio around here. And she's a very likable person. Um, like her mother, I'm sure. Maybe. I don't, I don't know. Very yeah, likable. I don't know. Anyways, she's, she's very... I mean, her background is fascinating for an interesting reason. Musicians, just in general, and I don't mean that they're their whole passion and their whole life is music, but that makes them very mathematical, even if they don't know they're mathematical. So it doesn't surprise me, and now add the digital part of the era of we're converting from analog to digital, so she's got that, and that somebody like an Apple or a tech company would grab her for that. So that's kind of cool. Right. So she's been, so that was her first position at Apple, and then there was a lot of different places that she went in Apple, and she really, I don't know what she does now. Very nice, but she's, she's a, is she happy? That's the thing. She's very that happy. She's a program manager. That's all she'll tell me. Is she's an engineering program manager. She didn't tell you that she's the, in charge of laser beams to the <laughs> to the moon or something. I get it, but that's how <laughs> that's how these tech companies it are. Is. It is. And it sounds like you're very. I don't like the word proud of because that's that's sort of overused. But it's it's nice that they're they're sounds like very very adjusted human beings and quality human beings is what we should ho all hope for yeah, for our kids. I think so. She has a very calm personality uh, deals with people I said she's she's the best secret keeper in the entire world because she doesn't say anything to anybody about stuff you know yeah well I mean she's not supposed to I you mean, know if someone tells her you know to keep a secret she certainly well, there, there's a lot to that we all talk about secrecy and things yeah. like that and confidentiality and we kind of go well I can tell my spouse or somebody like this but once you say something and it's out it really could have a tremendous impact, positive, negative, in any which way. Mm -hmm. I won't use your daughter as an example, but if you are in a situation that you let out, I work for Google, 
and I know Google's coming out with a new widget, mm -hmm. and you said to your somebody, and Google's coming out with a new widget, and now somebody heard Google's coming out from a new widget in passing, now they buy the stock, now they do something yeah. different, and all of a sudden, it blows into something that it's not supposed to. So somebody who can be confidential, that's a, that's a great right. gift, because most of us are communicative, and we, we wanna talk about what we know, mm -hmm. and it can be a problem, so that's kinda cool. Um, so I, I would say I would say I use the word secret, and she doesn't like that word. She says confidential yeah. or proprietary, or when dealing with her kids, she says private. Yeah. Um, because she thinks people use the word secret in bad ways sometimes. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But confidential, yeah. if, you, if you worded it right, oh, Lily, and I can't tell you it's confidential, mm -hmm. you might feel put off. What do you mean you can't tell me? You know what I mean? Because right. why did you mention it if you can't do right, that? Right, right. So there's things like that, like, you know, in anything, you know, you when you become president, there's things that you would tell me hypothetically that you may not want for public knowledge. And you're going to say, hey, can we keep that between us? Well, now you're trusting me to keep it between us. And if I tell Colby, our wonderful executive producer, and he says something not understanding that it was not supposed to be mentioned. That's what causes, you know, sort of problems. So it's, it it's, sort, it's sort of trust. Well, I mentioned Rotary, so let's talk about Rotary. You joined in 2005. Right. Why? Well, I had come to Rotary several times. I was on the school board back in, back in the day, and I had come to several meetings, and I was on CalSTRS. I'm not sure if you know what CalSTRS is. I do not. Okay. It's the California uh, Teachers Retirement Board. Okay. And it's in Sacramento, and you get appointed by the governor and so forth. Um, I was served on that with George Fenimore, who was a oh, past wonder, president. Wonderful man. Wonderful guy. And he brought me to Rotary a couple of times, and I said, George, you know, you know, I really like to, to join because I love what Rotary is doing. This is fantastic. This is the phil philanthropic efforts that they're doing is great. Yeah. And he goes, oh, we have too many women, you know, like that. Yeah. You know, well, it's George, interesting. George was sort of. Well, he was old school and he, he came from when it was school. when it was a men's only organization. Right. And it was a you had to be the top in your field. And at the time, I think I was the youngest member of Beverly Hills Rotary. And I had a conversation with Colby earlier and that he would like to join one day. I says, well, right now we have something set up called Rotaract for for younger people. So there's still a little bit of a bridge to it. There's, I don't know if there's an age discrepancy or an age discrepancy, wrong word, but an age limit, a young, old, or when somebody should be. But the idea that George Fenimore, who was with Warren Ackerman and some of those, the old-time people, DeKage, and all these wonderful Rotarians, they were used to it was a men's organization. And, and, and it wasn't it was governmental, business. and they didn't want governmental Correct. people. Correct. And, and then that sort of evolved, and it changed, which is fine. Right. It's yes. like it's good. And I think our organization has flipped from being a business first, philanthropy second, to philanthropy first, and business is second. And that's wonderful in, in, in its own ways. Everything's got ups and downs, and mm -hmm. it's the fabric. And what sews us all together is, I think, wanting to at least be good people and be a part and like begets like. Right. So when you became a member, I assume, well, then in 2005, there was lots of women that were organizational. Right, right. I would say our club is 50-50 now. Am I close? Probably. I, well, not quite, but almost. It's just, you know, I, I don't really notice or pay much attention to that, but I guess if somebody said think about it. Mm -hmm. um, and 
from controversy came good. Like you mentioned city officials, there was discussions when I was on the membership committees back in the day of you wanted somebody in a category. And if you had somebody from government, they're only elected for a certain amount of time. So you had wonderful people, uh, Vicki Reynolds, people like that. But when they leave government, they're no longer in business. And in theory, that wasn't what Rotary was about. But we didn't lose these people. They stayed here. And that was a, uh, an outcome that sort of changed the dynamic of our membership, which is fine. So it's kind of cool. So Well, George got over it, by the way. Yeah, well, why not? You know, he meets he you really and he meets other it. people. I mean, and when George was here, we had a lot. We had Kula Fuller. We had Rosalinda O'Neill. We had uh, Sally. I don't remember Sally's last name, but she owned a roofing company, which was really cool. Okay. We're, we're, um, we're having a good time with talking about membership. Um, and let's move forward a little bit to when you became interested in becoming more involved, because you've all been involved since I've been sort of back involved. So what made you want to become president? <laughs> well, some very convincing people. Yeah, because you have no idea. And you had Your arm was twisted, I understand, because <laughs> you have no idea how challenging it is and how much work it is. I was either dumb enough or smart enough to, I, I was asked many times, would I be interested? And I just said no. And the reason is I see what a great commitment it is. So my sort of role has become support every president for whatever their visions are. So what do you see as your vision? I, the vision why I became or because who asked me? Either one. What? Well, I mean, I, I blame Judy Fenton for everything, by the way. <laughs> so she's all right. I'll blame Miles. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, I've known Judy for, for from PTA yeah. days. and An incredible human, Judy very, And she's always, um, she's got me into several different organizations. Some were okay. Some were fantastic. Um, and... I actually don't remember who asked me if I'd like to be president. It's all right. I don't remember. But I, I'm the kind of person I think that steps up to a, to a challenge, and I hope that I can contribute something. I don't try to do things for self. Self, you know. Yeah. You, you know, it's, it's the, it goes along the lines of let's be interested rather than interesting. Right. Let's, you know, let, let's um, do service above self, you know. Right. Um, and that's a good thing because when you do something for somebody else or, or in the greater good, it's okay. And even if it's just participatory, which mm -hmm. is me, I'm not, I'm not the one that's going to get in a bus and go to the orphanage um, to help, you know, in, in Mexico. But I love the idea that there are people there and how can I support them and I'm, and I'm, happy and proud of uh, right, right. these people and happy to be in that kind of an organization. Right. So back to where do you see your vision of your presidency? I, what I would you like to see? So JR had a very difficult year. I mean, the past three years have been difficult yeah. with Sharona, Sharona and Charles and, Charles and, and JR. JR. JR did a really a great job in terms of getting away from Zoom and people didn't want to leave Zoom. It was I know yeah. they didn't want to leave. Makes it, it easy. It was easy. People, people were getting really lazy in, not just in Rotary, but in life in general. Yeah. With the pandemic, they yep. didn't want to do anything. They didn't want to go anywhere. I think he did a great job of bringing people back to the hotel. It's been a struggle since I think 
he started like in January. Businesses are still clean. suffering from it all. And ours, thank goodness, I think uh, I was very happy. I don't know if you noticed, we had a packed house last week. That was very much pre-pandemic with great speakers. And I don't remember the speaker candidly, but I did notice how busy everything was and yes. how people were here and everybody was happy and it was camaraderie and the Beverly Hills Hotel seems busy. And now we've got the US Open this week coming up and I think the hotels will be bustling and that's kind of great. But that's past, moving forward, what are you so hoping? I, so I'm hoping to, since JR kind of did that hard part, I'm hoping that to bring Rotary back to its glory days, back to the hotel, um, in in that in that. Are we realm. having peanut butter cookie day? I just heard Jr. who's buzzing in the back. It's National Peanut Butter Cookie Day. Are we having National Peanut Butter Cookie Days? Apparently, um, I went to bring you know people back. I try to be collaborative and. Towards this end, I've had, I really feel that I'm on a great path. I've had great people step up asking to do jobs. One, um, I wasn't one of those. It wasn't you because <laughs> every time you complain, Michael, you could put on a committee. Yeah. You know how, how many, many committees, committees am I, I on think now? You're oh on my about God. five committees right now. <laughs> Did you know that? Five committees at least. So, <laughs> so. Um, Peter Ostroff and Elliot Finkel are volunteered to be the speaker chairs. Fools, and fools. Fantastic, fantastic. <laughs> they are. They're great people. Fantastic people. They're so hardworking. I mean, we're booked practically up until November. Yeah. It's wonderful. It, and they're quality people, quality speakers. Fantastic. People are. I, I ask people if they have the name of somebody who's a good speaker. They, people have stepped up left and right. It's wonderful. And then the other hard job to do is getting people to do inspirational moments. It's like a pulling teeth. Jeff Runyon volunteered to do that. And he's, he has amazing yeah. inspirational speeches. He delivers them right on key every single time. So I think he will be dynamite. He will be great. I mean, I have no doubts you'll be special. You'll be elite as a president because you're elite as a person. Oh. And, and that wasn't just saying that to not be on committees. That was just my observation of you. And basically every single person in this room has something to offer. So it's great. So Lillian, I'm not going to torture any more keeping <laughs> you here because I know it was pulling hair to, to get you to do this podcast. But it's uh, sort of a wonderful obligation and it was wonderful to have. So I wanted to... Um, our next year's theme is internationally is create hope in the world. And I feel that this rotary provides a lot of hope. And that's going to be our theme is providing hope. It's a great thing. You and I chatted briefly about hope and how important that is, I think, for everybody. And especially coming out of a pandemic and try to be normal mm-hmm. is think of being hopeful in the world. We're inundated with negative and to be hopeful is trying to look at positive so that's a great thing so again thank you so much and i look forward to your presidency and we will see you soon and fight on fight on